My friends, I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Salt and light. These are the two smallest things in the world, and yet they are two things that make some of the biggest difference in the world. You, as in you all, you are salt and light. Jesus says in our gospel lesson today. There's no works righteousness here. It's not you should be the light or if you do this and that, you will be the light. No, you are salt and light, period. And that's grace. The grace that God has given to us to be salt and light. And we are given that in holy baptism. It is your holy vocation. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Someone said that to either you or your parents when you were baptized and as they handed you a candle to symbolize the light. We do not do good works to earn our salvation, but because we have already been loved by God and received God's mercy and forgiveness, we are sent out to be the light of Christ in the world. It's easy to find Christians, especially Lutheran Christians, who know the phrase, well, we are justified by grace. But it's more difficult to find one who lives out of a deep understanding of what that phrase means. Isaiah, in our first lesson, sets the record straight. He cries out against confusion about true and false worship, condemning people for honoring the letter of the law while ignoring the spirit of the law. Then they are offended when God doesn't recognize their hollow obedience. To do God's will and follow God's commands means to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. It is to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see them naked to cover them. It is then, then, that your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Being the light is more than smiling and being nice. It's not about morality or being good, which seems to be the understanding of Christianity today. Being the light has a real cost to you. This lesson is the second section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in the verses just previous to this, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the upside-down values of God's reign, where the poor are blessed, the meek inherit the earth. He is explaining how these values are lived out in the lives of his followers. And so God chooses to create and commission you to be salt and light for the earth. By God's grace, God chooses us. So, I'm wondering how many of you went to a Super Bowl party or hosted one last week. How many people were? Well, there aren't as many Super Bowl fans as there used to be years ago. Um, Or at least maybe not this year, I don't know. I did not watch it. <laughs> um, how many of you ate salty snacks? I ate those, whether, whether I was watching the game or not, you know. Um, how many of you buy unsalted pretzels? Anybody? One time I did a children's sermon and I had the kids taste the two. Oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> uh, salt adds flavor, right? In ancient times, salt was used as a preservative for food. Before they had refrigerators, they would salt fish, especially to dry it out and preserve it for the winter. Native Americans, of course, did that too. Salt was used symbolically to seal or preserve covenants. I would throw a little bit of salt over your shoulder, you would throw a little salt over my shoulder, and then our covenant would be preserved. It would be sealed. It had medicinal purposes as well. So Jesus is saying, you all are to bear the savor of our Savior to the world in order to make it a better place for everyone. Salt's not made for itself, and neither are the blessings of discipleship. They exist to affect what's around them. Salt that has lost its ability to flavor, of course, is useless. You might as well just throw it out. We all are quite aware of the difference the light makes in darkness. Without light, we too would be pretty useless stumbling around. Can you imagine being in an airplane at night without those tiny little lights? Or driving in a car without lights and without street lights. It would be a disaster, wouldn't it? We would be much more fearful people if there was no light. Back in the 1930s, darkness spread over Europe. A man named Adolf Hitler, Chancellor of Germany, wanted to rule the world. You know the story. He gradually spread his darkness over Poland and into Russia and finally to Great Britain and to France. He persecuted Jewish people for their faith, stole their wealth, treated them inhumanely, and sent them to camps to be killed. Nowadays, people look back and they say, why didn't somebody stand up to all those terrible things that he was doing? 
It took a long time for the United States to even enter World War II and to fight him. People wonder, why didn't the church stand up against him? Where was the salt and light of Christ's disciples then? I knew a woman in my first congregation who grew up in Germany during World War II, and she said when Hitler came to power, her dad immediately put a Nazi flag in the window. They were not Nazis. But he told the family that, you know, if he didn't do that, he was going to lose his job, maybe lose his home, and their standing in society. For some people, not putting that flag up would cost their lives. And the church was afraid of Hitler, too. There is a kind of violence that may not seem as severe as this happening in our own country today. We have culturally and systematically accepted the practice of paying CEOs of large corporations 450 times the earnings of their lowest paid workers. Actually, it's 450 times or more. When I was young, it was more like 10 or maybe even 20 times as much. Now we have a wealthy elite and a lower tier of the working poor. Many of them have to work three minimum wage jobs to make rent, and they don't have health care. Nearly one in five American children is officially poor. That's roughly 15 million kids, according to Time magazine. But the number living with insufficient food, seriously overcrowded housing, or lack of access to medical care due to cost is actually much higher. According to the latest studies, it's more like one in three. One in three children in the United States. What did we have, ten children up here? That would be three of them. Maybe none of our children, but in another church, it would be all of them. Why do we tolerate this today? Is it for the same reasons that the Germans tolerated Hitler? Are we afraid to step up and say something? What would it cost us? We need to think of sin as something more than just personal and individual wrongdoing. We need to also see sin collectively as something that happens in an organized system, whether it be a company or a government or, yes, even a church. We have to ask questions such as, why is it that when I was a kid, I never saw homeless people? What changed in our system? Who benefited and who lost? Some of the changes happened intentionally and some did not. Yet we are left with a system that creates poverty. While we may be able to help temporarily by giving someone a meal, it certainly doesn't solve the problem of hunger. 
we have to ask the greater question. Why do they need the meal in the first place? This, of course, does not have a simple answer, even though sometimes we want to think there's a simple answer, like they're lazy. But people who work three jobs are not lazy. The answers are a complex interaction of systems, of education, of privilege, of employment. As my friend Anna Madsen in her new book, I Can Do No Other, writes, confronting collective sin is fiendishly difficult to do because in so doing, we are in fact sacrificing our own lives, or at least our way of life. Yes, it will cost us something. And yet, if I am ignoring the systemic factors that have made my neighbor hungry and homeless, am I loving my neighbor? Justification, too, is broader than just forgiveness of sins. If we are justified by God's grace, justification naturally leads to justice. We want a fair shake for our neighbor. Good works are not a requirement of God's love, but a sign that you have received God's love. If you look at Scripture, God is always on the side of the forlorn, the forgotten, and the weak. To be on God's side is to be on their side, too. When I was in Ohio over Christmas I saw on the evening news a story about a Presbyterian church that was raising money to pay people's medical bills off. They had raised almost $600,000. What a concept. You can bet that I, when I get to church shop next month, I will visit that church because their light is shining so brightly. My hope is that they are also advocating for health coverage for those folks as well. When people encounter us Christians, they should see and sense more than just a group of people that worship once a week. They should feel hope. They should feel the possibility of a new and different kingdom, God's kingdom. They should see unheard of reconciliation, outrageous generosity, and love of one's enemies. They should be refreshed and invigorated and feel new life, new vitality, new hope. After all, salt preserves life. If there's one thing the Sermon on the Mount has to teach, it's that faith and action go hand in hand. You cannot hide your light under a bushel. Likewise, to hide your faith by inaction would be to betray all that our faith means to us. Faith leads to justice and good works. By God's grace, you have been called to be salt and light for the earth. Amen. Light, um, 
Oh, do we have one or two stories about seeing the light this week yet? Anybody have a story about seeing the light? Or being the light. How about being the light? Where have you been the light this week? That's a little harder to say because we feel like we're bragging, but I'm sure that a lot of you are being the light somewhere. Erin? I'm going to talk about seeing the light. Um, I volunteered to do um, the phonathon at Degage. They had a day of hope and on Friday, and um, taking the phone calls from people who um, you in hearing their stories on the phone, you could tell may not, they were not, um, this was not their excess. Um, and they wanted to share with the people at Degage, so they were making pledges. And um, people were all there serving at Degage, um, serving the patrons. It was a very uplifting and joyous um, time to be there. And um, some of the stories of the people who um, were also patrons and how they got where they uh-huh. where in the situation they were, mm. um, were really moving. So it was, a great, um, it was a great experience to be part of. Good. Thank you. And you were sharing your life, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, seeing the homeless people really bothers me in town. And unfortunately, as a Sunday school teacher, I have not been able to take advantage of when we have um, nonprofits come in and explain what you should be actually doing instead. So, um, one message that I got though was that um, other than giving to the agencies that help the poor and the homeless, is to, if you feel the need to give them something, then the degage meal tickets or bus tickets or something would mm-hmm. be helpful. So, I've invested in that and I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of tricky, though, because when you're stopped at an intersection, you need to make that happen quickly without disturbing the flow of traffic or else pull off and, you know, pass them out. But anyway, so I, I had the opportunity to do that, mm-hmm. and it was a young man who, it could have been my son, mm-hmm. and um, he ran back to the car, and I just had it hanging out the window, and he grabbed it, and then he went up to the corner again, and then the light changed, and I was able to come up to the light where he was and see him again. And just making that eye contact, that humanity, yeah. was just really special. Right. That's as important as anything. Yes. They're human beings like us. <laughs> right. It's just so sad. Yeah, to look people in the eye. Yeah. yeah. So I wish him the best, and I keep them in my prayers, too. Great. Thank you. Anybody wants degage ticket those vouchers to hand out? Um, I have some. I can and I can easily get them. It would be good to have yep. some Erin on our welcome center. If you could bring okay. some, that would be great. Also, we're serving at degage next Friday, which right. happens to be Valentine's Day. So, if anyone has ideas of how to make that special, mm. or if we can have extra hands, I know you probably have your own Valentine's Day plans, but. Um, you can always shove those back a little bit and come to Degage first and help with a bingo night or make a donation to bingo prizes. Um, if we had just $50, we could have 50 bingo prizes. So yeah. that's an option. Great. Just shine a little light there. 
at Myers this week. I ran into one of the folks that we often serve at Supper House on Thursday nights. And I was able to talk to him, and I remembered his name. I've talked to him before at Supper House. He was appreciative. It warmed my heart to be able to make that connection and recognize that connection from him to me and to us at St. Luke's because he made a point of asking, what church is it that you are from again? And I was able to welcome him in the name of all of us. So it was heartwarming. Awesome. Thank you. One more. It's kind of similar, but I was was downtown with the kids and... uh, if you all know the Burger King off of Pearl and the highway there, a lot of homeless people tend to hang out there. And I was there with the kids getting ice cream, and it was right before Christmas, and I just thought it, it might be nice to get some gift cards for some of, some of those folks, and I was talking with the kids about how to remember to thank God for our house, our clothes, our bed, mm-hmm. and everything like that, and mm-hmm. tried to explain that those people don't have those blessings in their life, and they were very happy to receive a, a gift card for some food, and they, they blessed us, and... We said Merry Christmas to them, and it's a good experience for the kids. It is. It is yeah. good for your kids, yeah. Um, I know a story about a family that went to McDonald's, and there was a, a homeless band that, um, you know, asked for, you know, a burger or something, and the family bought him something to eat. And then he, they kind of were surprised he sat down to eat with them. And... They went to say their prayer, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. And the little girl, I think of Cecily, said, it really happened this time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks be to God.